Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Thanks so much for listening to this special feed, The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50. I'm Tobin Lowe, co-host of Nancy. If you like what you hear, you can find more coverage from WNYC by visiting wnyc.org stonewall50. And if you love these episodes as much as we do, we encourage you to subscribe to all of these great podcasts and share your favorites with your friends. Okay, Kath, what is up next? Up next, an episode from us, our podcast, Nancy. Tobes. Kath. I was counting the other day. Ooh, counting what? I was counting the queer people in our office, and I noticed something kind of amazing. Ooh, not where I thought you were going with that. Uh, that <laughs> makes me uneasy. What did you find? I found that our podcast corner, not just Nancy, but sort of spreading out in our office, our area there is majority queer. Oh, I like that. That's nice. The agenda is working. The gay agenda (laughs) is absolutely working. Yeah. That makes me feel lucky because it means that our workplace is, like, very queer-friendly. Yes. You know what I mean? Professional gays. Professional gays. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But for today's episode, we're going to a workplace that is the antithesis of the tote bag carrying world of public radio podcasting. Today, we are going to the Pentagon. From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy with your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Too. So earlier this summer, we got the news that Donald Trump is proposing to ban transgender people from serving in the military. And a couple episodes ago, we talked to former airman Jordan Blisk about what it was like to be trans while serving. By the way, Nancy listeners, you can hear that convo in our podcast feed or at nancypodcast.org. So today, you can serve openly if you're gay or lesbian. But even after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, the military still wasn't a place many would call queer-friendly. Today's story is about how that started to change. And we'll begin with this guy. My name is Todd Brazil. I joined the Army out of college in 1992 as an Army lieutenant in the field artillery. I spent 22 years, 2 months, and 28 days in the regular Army. And for most of those 22 years, he didn't tell anyone he worked with that he was gay. None of my commanders ever suspected, and actually one of my troops who did suspect, who I think was gay also, he asked me if Dorothy was a friend of mine. He just immediately said, you know, are you a friend of Dorothy? So I'm like, I, I don't I don't know her, man. And <laughs> he was like, all right, sir, sir, never, I, I was just curious, never mind. So it wasn't until years later when I found out that if you're a friend of Dorothy's, that that, that was like a big indicator, you know? <laughs> For five years, I was convinced I could either pray it away or uh, get it counseled away by seeing an army psychologist. So I thought, well, here's the deal. I will set about creating a life for myself where I have my personal life, and then I'll set up a very, you know, like it's just this impenetrable wall between my personal life and my professional life. And my friends at work will be my friends at work, but they'll never really know who I am. And then my friends outside of work will know the full me. Um, And then I met Mark. 
Mark and I were substantively engaged. Uh, we had exchanged rings for 11 years. For those 11 years, he followed me from assignment to assignment, um, waited for me um, while I went off to war a few times, and um, never received even a courtesy call, let alone any of the uh, rights, benefits, and privileges of a lawfully recognized um, spouse while I served. What, what that man went through um, is something no one should ever have to go through. Um, that hurt me watching what he was going through. We begin tonight with something brand new in America today. It is day one. Don't ask, don't tell forced around 14,000 people to leave the armed forces because they are gay. But today, the 17-year-old policy fought its last battle in the Senate. With 65 votes, the Senate voted to end the ban on gays serving openly in the military. Todd was out to dinner when he got a phone call from a friend. And he called to let me know how the vote had gone down and that Don't Ask, Don't Tell had been repealed. And immediately, like, my eyes welled up with tears. It's been repealed. So this morning, I am proud to sign a law that will bring an end to Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Not long after that, Todd was posted to the Pentagon, high up in the communications department. And just before going, um, a buddy of mine said, you know, there's a, this coffee group that meets in the Pentagon. They're all gay. It's civilians. It's um, people of all ranks. And it's a really great way to network. And um, you, should, you should give it a shot. We were one part of a little budding gaggle of gays at the Pentagon. My name is Tarek Shah, and I was the Special Assistant to the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Operational Energy. As they say in Washington, the longer your title, the less important you are. I'm Alex Wagner. I am the former Chief of Staff to the 22nd Secretary of the Army. Alex and Tarek were civilians appointed by the Obama administration, and they were regulars at the coffee club. The, the Pentagon Coffee Group was a group of military officers and enlisted from every service who would come together to create a community within a building that at the time was openly skeptical at best and more likely hostile to their presence in uniform. Even though Don't Ask, Don't Tell had been repealed, it's not like the military suddenly became a comfortable place for gay people, unless you knew where to look. Every Tuesday and Friday morning, We'd meet downstairs in the food court by the Dunkin' Donuts. Laughing, smiling, and clearly not working. But it wasn't like someone put a big rainbow flag on the table. <laughs> the coffee club wasn't exactly secret, but Todd was definitely not interested. He still wasn't out to his coworkers at the Pentagon. I am just coming out of this environment where being honest and behaving um, naturally was just so uh, not just frowned upon, but uh, but unlawful. But one day I had happened to have a meeting get canceled, and I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna just gonna check it out. I walked uh, the path to get to this place in the center of the Pentagon. Uh, I go down the escalator, and so I walk into the group, and I see some faces look up, like, "Hey, man, welcome, welcome to Coffee Clutch." I just kept on walking. I just walked right through the group, and uh, it freaked me out. Alex and Tarek, the civilians, 
They knew that something extra needed to happen for LGBT service members to know it was okay to be themselves. Something public. Something official. If we could have a Pride event at the Pentagon, that would send a message to every single military installation all across the world that you can have one too. If it could be done in the heart of the Pentagon with the most senior uniformed and civilian leaders embracing and endorsing this type of event, it would be something that would be impossible to stop the momentum going forward. So in early 2012, Alex and Tarek decided that they were going to organize a Pentagon Pride event that June, and it would be the first of its kind. Tarek and I sat down and we shared a Burger King veggie burger and started plotting. Wait, 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 wait. Burger King has a veggie burger? <laughs> Tobin, focus. Tarek and I sat down and we shared a Burger King veggie burger and started plotting how we were going to execute a Pride event in the Pentagon, the Pentagon way. The Pentagon way. This part of the plan was crucial. Whatever picture comes to mind when you think of a Pride event, this was not what they were going for. For this to work at the Pentagon, it would have to be really square. which meant have a ceremony in the Pentagon Auditorium with all the pomp and circumstance, but also with all the respect for tradition and history. And so this incredible milestone in the history of the Pentagon would be marked by a panel discussion. My motives here were not to have a pride parade in the Pentagon, but to have an event that resembled every other event the Pentagon held, whether it was MLK Month, Black History Month, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, in a way that all those people could be proud of it. And so we started plotting. The first thing Tarek and Alex had to do is build their team. And the first person they wanted to recruit was Todd. An expert in thinking about how to message things. Now, Todd still wasn't out at work, but he wasn't completely hiding it either. At some point, he told me that he had taken Kathy Griffin to Afghanistan. And I remember going home that night and saying, Kathy Griffin is code word for something, but could he be gay? <laughs> I think I outed myself um, at the first meeting. <laughs> um, but my gut reaction when Alex and Tarek brought me this was, uh, it's just, it's too quick. It's, too, it's just, it's way too soon. There's, this is a needless provocation. The ink isn't even dry on the, on the repeal yet. Give it some time uh, to kind of process. I worked him over. <laughs> I, wor I worked him over like any, I, I dealt with the Todds of the world before. And, you know, I don't really take no for an answer. It's like now is the time to put the accelerator pedal down and floor this son of a bitch because uh, people need to understand that, that the longer we push to the side and don't acknowledge, then the longer um, it'll take for people like your fiance and my friends to, to receive the full rights and benefits uh, that they've earned. 
We had to go way outside the chain of command in order to pull this off. My name is Sue Fulton. I'm an Army veteran. Sue was a pioneer in her own right as part of the first female class of graduates at West Point in 1980. For many years, Sue was one of the more prominent voices advocating for repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. My greatest shame in my life was the time when I was asked by a military investigator if I was gay at a time when I did know I was gay. And I lied and said no. I had survived the investigation. I'd managed to stay in. I'd managed to get out of the Army on my own terms. Many others had not. But I carried the shame and guilt for that for many, many years. And in one way or another, I've been advocating for LGBT people, particularly LGBT people in the military, ever since that. Importantly, she also knows most of the Army's senior military leadership, so she had social relationships with many of the senior uniform generals. Tarek told me of this ambitious plan to hold a Pride event at the Pentagon that June. And I told him, hey, whatever I can do to help, I'd be happy to do. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, that's too early. It's not going to happen. I had to be persuaded to block the date on my calendar. I was that skeptical. And I'm an optimist. But it just, the, the Pentagon seemed so foreboding to me at the time. But I also knew that if anybody could pull it off, Alex and Tarek could. So Tarek and I thought, well, what we'll do is we'll do this the way the Pentagon does its business. We wanted to put it on paper. We'd create a memo, a formal document that went up through the chain and got the right buy-in. So by the time it got to the secretary's office, this would have been an easy win. And so I assumed, and I think Tarek assumed, that this would be a no-brainer. They followed all the official steps, and they waited and waited, and waited. You know you're not making headway in the Pentagon when your memo meets silence. I recall um, various factions within the Pentagon sort of superstructure, all but making it impossible for him to move forward. I think a lot of people were genuinely concerned that a Pride Month event would look like the Fox News B-roll of a pride parade. The chiefs of staff of the Army, Navy, and uh, uh, Air Force and the Commandant of the Marine Corps categorically stood in lockstep against it. It was just weeks till summer, just weeks till pride, and they still didn't have the sign-off from their superiors. I was so frustrated that Tarek and I had done everything right. We didn't have formal approval yet from the building. But they weren't about to let this opportunity go. So the Pentagon's gaggle of gays took matters into its own hands, broke rank, went rogue, but you know, Pentagon style. That's an amazing... Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended. No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, 
they always reveal themselves, their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions. How to read a Politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Nancy. And we're back. Mm-hmm. Kathy, where are we? We are at the Pentagon. Oh. And Alex and Tarek are trying to organize its very first Pride event. So I am terrible at navigating bureaucracy. <laughs> I think I would be horrible at organizing something like this. All they want to do is a couple keynote speeches, a panel discussion, and the presentation of colors, that ceremonial presentation of the flag. Okay, so like pretty straightforward. It is, but it's turning out to be an uphill battle. At this point, they've written memos, they've tried going through all the official channels, and nothing is working. And they're starting to get desperate. Then one day, Alex is sent to a meeting. A meeting at the Obama White House. So I found myself at a table at a meeting representing DOD, the Department of Defense, at the National Security Council. And at the end of the meeting... The discussion eventually came to a question to all of the national security agencies of how they were planning on celebrating Pride Month. And the State Department said, oh, we're having another event with the secretary. And the Justice Department was very excited about the attorney general speaking at their event the year before. And it seemed like every federal agency was doing something for Pride Month. And then all of a sudden, it came to me. When you're sitting at a table at a meeting convened by the National Security Council, (laughs) you're always going to be a little bit nervous. (laughs) Um, But I think adrenaline took over. And so, you know, Alex reported that, you know, we were having a little trouble, that there was a plan in place to do a Pride event at the Pentagon, but that, um, you know, there was a question about whether it would actually happen. And I said, well, I'd love the White House to light a fire under the department's leadership to make this happen. I was asking for something that was not in my specific marching orders. I could have been fired on the spot. I mean, if the Secretary of Defense said to the White House, fire him, boom. I later came to find out that the Office of Cabinet Affairs, the Office of Public Engagement, and the National Security Council came together at the White House to send a note to the Pentagon's leadership that they would like to see a Pride event happen. I won't call it outside pressure, but what I will call it is a kind of, uh, wake the fuck up. Look at what's going on around you. Don't be the only, uh, you know, federal agency that attempts to squash an entire population of of the people who uh, work for you. And we went from facing a few roadblocks to sort of the gates being open. And when I got the email, it's on, you'll be getting your invitation shortly. I think I jumped up and and said, you know, pumped my fist and then said to my wife, oh my God, Penny, they did it. They did it. And I'm going to speak at it. It's the day of the event. We're excited and we're really nervous. The Pentagon Auditorium is downstairs. The stage is not very big. It's built for something like, you know, a panel of three or four. The auditorium is filling up, and in the back of the auditorium, it turns out there are dozens of TV cameras. And they come from the military's own news reporting structure, 
and from the national networks. There was so much tension in the room. It felt a little like every straight person in the room was a little bit worried that people might think they were gay. And every gay person in the room was a little worried people might think they were gay. It's almost like, you know, on game day, you feel the tension and it's like, it feels good because you know you're ready. That's how I felt. I felt like, okay, this is good, give me the ball. I think back to when I arrived at my first duty station in 1980. One of the first people I met was our battalion PAC NCO, personal, personnel NCO. And forgive the stereotype, but he was about six foot four, and he was the fiercest, most fabulous, you know, take no prisoners, flamboyant gay man I'd ever seen. <laughs> and yet, all of the captains and majors and colonels deferred to him because he knew his job inside and out. He knew it better than anybody else. When he would pass me in the hall and say, how you doing, ma'am? I... You could see them all. They started to laugh and relax. The other folks would say, well, that's just Riley. And like, OK, this is going to be all right. And that was my intent. And from there, it was, it was easy. We can't believe it's going so well. We had a gay Marine who is active duty. When the repeal happened, I went into work thinking that my life was going to change. And I went in and I sat down at my desk and I kind of braced myself on the desk waiting for everyone to come and ask me if I was gay. We played the president's message for Pride Month. As we celebrate LGBT Pride Month, we remember the activists and advocates who refused to be treated like second-class citizens. It, it touched me. I mean, I, I get emotional to this day when I think about the growth that I watched happen on that stage. It absolutely changed me. Seeing our friends in the Pentagon Auditorium was so celebratory and exciting. I mean, people with these huge smiles, people with tears in their eyes that we're here, this is happening. I was sitting with my husband, the man I'd married just a couple months previous because it was no longer unlawful to do so. And, and then the event, it starts with a presentation of the colors as the colors come down the aisle. And the fact that it was for pride was so moving to stand there and render honors. As I'd learned as a 17-year-old at West Point, knowing that this ceremony was celebrating something that I'd had to hide was more, almost more than I could handle. Yeah. It was one of the proudest moments of my entire life. It meant that we could never go back. That was Alex Wagner, Tarek Shah, Sue Fulton, and Todd Brazil. By the way, this year, President Trump didn't acknowledge Pride at all. But there was still a Pride event at the Pentagon. It was organized by DOD Pride, the group that used to be the unofficial coffee club. You go, coffee club. Thanks to Audrey Quinn for bringing us that story. We're on Facebook and Twitter, where Nancy podcasts both places, and we'll be live on Facebook Mondays all season. And you can sign up for our newsletter over at nancypodcast.org. 
Credits time. Producer. Matt Collette. Sound designer. Jeremy Bloom. Intern. Caleb Cotting. Editor. Jenny Lawton. Executive producer. Paula Schumann. I'm Tobin Lowe. I'm Kathy Too. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Okay, one more thing before we go. Here at Nancy, we're working on something big, a new project called Out at Work. All season, we're going to be bringing you stories about being queer on the job. That includes everything from how you tell the people you work with you're queer to the possibility of getting fired for who you are. And we want to hear from you about being out on the job. Tell us your story at nancypodcast.org work. Thanks so much for listening to this special feed, The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50. If you like what you hear, you can find more coverage from WNYC by visiting wnyc.org slash stonewall50. 